Welcome to Living Untitled, a new podcast featuring conversations about the limitless optimism and possibilities in our untitled world. I'm your host, Justin Boone. Today, I'm happy to welcome Essence Hardin to the show. Essence is a teacher, a writer, a PhD candidate in African Diaspora Studies at the University of California, Berkeley, and a visual arts curator and program manager at the California African American Museum, also known as CAM, here in Los Angeles. Essence comes to the art world through Black studies and academia and perceives being a curator as being a caretaker of not only the art, how it's represented and communicated to the public, but also a caretaker for the artist who entrusts their vision and creativity to Essence. If I read enough and if I trust myself enough and take enough notes and do enough studio visits and rest, I can have the sort of synapses happen in my mind where I'm like, ah, that's a show. And Essence focuses on the inclusion, the welcomeness of the institutions that share art and artists with the public. Because these environments can be precious to the point of alienation, often feeling reserved for only a few elite. Frankly, that's not what art is, what it's meant to be and who it's really for at the end of the day. It's for everyone. Museums, galleries, and art in public spaces that's intended for all eyes, all years, all minds. This is how different artists' voices find their place in the world, blowing open the doors and removing the barriers to access to creativity and art going on all around us. A lot of people don't know what a curator does. Mm -hmm. They have no idea, right? You are like this (laughs) mystical figure that does something in these institutions. Yeah. So how would you sort of describe your work to people that really don't understand it? I describe that in the way, which is, have you ever been to a museum? Did you see all the art that was in there? Someone made a decision about the art that's there and how it is placed, and that person is me. You know, the sort of mystery around how these institutions run, galleries, museums, art fairs, wherever art is sort of landing in space, people don't really know. It's just, it's just there, right? And so I'm like, to really reduce it to you have entered a space before and seen art somewhere, someone had to decide what that was, uh, the writing that's on the wall that's next to it, how it's kind of laid out. All those kinds of decisions are things that I get to do. And so when talking to my mom or talking to my daughter who's three, you know, I'm like, I'm the person who makes those decisions. <laughs> that's what my job is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In a very basic way, there's a, you know, a more beautiful answer that is also about being a curator is caring for the art object, but also the artist. And I really kind of lead my work in that ethos, right, of of care and caretaking. And I see, you know, every exhibition I do as a collaborative experience between myself, the artist, other curators, um, the cities that we're doing work in, larger historical conversations that we might be entering. But it is this relationship of care And because I come from, you know, art via Black studies and via academia, I just have, that's like the way that I have a framework for all of the work that I do. For you, especially like as we think about some of the work that you're doing right now with CAM, for folks that don't know, California (laughs) African American Museum is CAM. Even the show that you just, I think it just closed, right? The show that you're just in, it's a beautiful show. (laughs) It's fun to kind of walk around and see it. But I love what you're doing in terms of 
with a show like that, bringing together two very distinct voices that seem complementary in a lot of ways. Like, what do you hope is kind of that conversation that you're trying to kind of create there and the context you're trying to offer? That's a great question. I mean, part of it is that I was a teacher and I feel like that's sort of the job of teaching, right? You're like, here's a bunch of information. I'm going to make a narrative. And the hope is that there's a thread that you can see that starts. And I was a Black studies teacher, um, and I was had a history undergraduate degree, so very much creating stories, right? Like here's a story from 1910 to 1960 that I want to sort of bestow upon you, and hopefully there's a thread that connects it, right? So I think I kind of think of curating as an educator in a lot of ways, and I think that is that is kind of part and parcel to the job, no matter if that's your background or not. So there's a little bit of that. And then when it comes to creating conversations between artists, it's not my art, but my art is that conversation, right? So it's like (laughs) other people are making objects or experiences if you're doing performance, right? And my job feels that I'm like, okay, here are all these people making things. I'm reading Toni Morrison essays or I'm watching Christina Sharp give a lecture. You know, I'm doing all this sort of research on my own. And I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting idea. I really like this concept that's just been forwarded. Erna Broadbear, um, which is used in the exhibition with A.D. Roberson and Ezekiel Muhammad, because I am that as a guiding point for me to be like, oh, is there a way to think about and consider her idea of black space in an art context? And are there people who I think are doing that type of work or people who, if put together, could present that type of work. That's a lot of what it is for me is that I'm reading, I'm listening, I'm taking an immense amount of notes. <laughs> I'm going to other exhibitions. I, you know, I'm talking to other curators and I'm doing a lot of studio visits. And in all of those processes, all there will be these sort of through lines that I start to see between artists who aren't talking to each other necessarily, but I'm like, you are speaking about something kind of similar. And can I build an aesthetic space, a visual space that does that connection? And I think that's just kind of generally how I've learned to do the job. I let my curiosity take me down a road and I'm like, can I do it? I think I can. I feel pretty confident um, in my skills in that way. And so I just kind of go for it. And like from my first exhibition to what I'm laying out right now for the museum, it's the same kind of energy, which is if I read enough and if I trust myself enough and take enough notes and do enough studio visits and rest, I can have the sort of synapses happen in my mind where I'm like, ah, that's a show. And then I get to execute it. And I think in executing, you know, My hope is that whenever people are entering the space of whatever museum or, you know, there's art and practice, which is Cam is doing this five-year residency um, with or the galleries that I used to curate at as well, my hope is that, you know, people are learning something, that they're experiencing something that they couldn't assume from looking at the PDF online or looking at a photo online. Part of it is that you don't know, and then you get to be excited about learning about new artists, maybe, you know, a sort of theory that's in the wall text that I've presented, and that you too can kind of see that through line that I was kind of conceptualizing, that you're like, oh, you know, Essence thought of this particular black space theory. And now that I'm here experiencing it, I see it. Cool. I I think I I kind of, I'm I'm rocking with it. It like makes sense, you know? And 
to be surprised and to be kind of amazed. And I think that's my favorite part about art is that I'm constantly amazed and I haven't been doing this forever, but I have been doing it for enough time where I feel like I couldn't, I couldn't be like, I am not amazed by anything, but I'm not. I'm, I love artists and I love people who share and who are so vulnerable with themselves and their work. And it's always just exciting to me. And I hope people feel excited and surprised and like they learn something about themselves, about the work. How has being a curator changed your relationship with art? Well, now it's my job. <laughs> In the biggest way, right? Where I'm like, I used to go to openings and I would be like, oh, it's Saturday, it's Sunday. And I spend like my weekends sort of running around. Um, and now I'm a lot more kind of strict with my time where, you know, I am like, it's my job. So I really think about it as part of my schedule, you know, when I'm, if it's for work, like directly, and that nine to five schedule, Monday through Friday, I try to have limits on my engagement, mostly because otherwise it's my entire life, right? Where I'm like, oh, I have no time to sort of just be, to be silly or, you know, goofy or dumb, whatever. Like just, you know, I'm like, it could easily eat up every hour of the day because I do really love it. And my kid today, even this morning, she was like, before she went to daycare, she's like, oh, I want to go to a museum. She's three. She's been to lots of art spaces and galleries and museums, but she's just getting cognizant enough to, you know, have more language around it. And I was like, oh, that means like my weekends now will become this too. And I want to like, spend time with her and I, and I love art and, you know, it's fine. It makes sense. But... Yeah, I try to just put some limits on my time on the weekend and, you know, in the evening so that I'm not all consumed all the time. But install happens, editing happens, writing happens when it needs to. And, you know, I love art, so it's not like the worst thing that's ever happened on the planet, right? I'm like, (laughs) if this is what I've got to do, like, it's fine. I, I do really love art. How do you break away from it? Like, what is the silly time for oh, you? <laughs> my, like, Teresian time of, like, eating cheese and drinking wine and watching Seinfeld and repeat forever. Since I was a child, I've watched Seinfeld every night. Um, and I'm and I'm almost 40. So, yeah, that. I watched Queen Charlotte. I watched a lot of period pieces. I was like, I'm going to watch Persuasion or maybe I'll watch, you know, the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice from 1992, which is my favorite. You know, like I do shit like that. <laughs> like I wish it was exciting and thrilling, but it's really not. I watched like 1994 comedy special last night. You know, like that's really I have to like really switch my brain to not be deep in scholarship. However, I think all of those things are still very much aiding my process because there always will be something in there where I'm like, oh, that's kind of like an interesting concept that maybe there should be like an exhibition around like Black feminist comedy and like laughter and humor and, you know, and so then I'm like, I'm still working, you know, (laughs) like my brain wants to be uh, silly a lot of the time and also I just like thinking and I can't help it. <laughs> Almost even why I asked the question because I'm like I bet I, I have a hunch the silly time probably is actually informing a lot of the work. Definitely. And uh, I, I, I do it myself mm-hmm. all the time. I absolutely do. Like it, it could be the silliest thing that I'm trying to do with my time and I'm like wait that's the best idea. <laughs> like totally. run with that. You, you need it. it. We need rest. We need respite. We need 
to not be like in this sort of go, go, go energy, right? Like that's not how anything creative happens. It happens when you're dreaming, when you're half awake, when you're in the shower, when you're eating breakfast. You as a parent now Mm -hmm. seeing these institutions, maybe even your own institution that you work for as a space that is a resource for your daughter or for others in the community in one way, shape or form. What is that purpose of that institution? How as a space is it meant to serve that community? I think museums, I'm like, look, art is for people. Mm. (laughs) I'm like, at the whole basic level, of the species, like as homo sapiens, it is a thing that we do. We cook with fire. We make art. We like do body modification. Great Seinfeld episodes. Absolutely. (laughs) True art. Um, You know, like I really firmly believe that. And so I, you know, the Bay Area, I grew up in Oakland and Berkeley and there was BAM PFA, SF MoMA, the De Young. I'm like trying to think of museums, Oakley Museum of California, which is very historical when I was growing up. So there wasn't a lot of like art to go to um, and maybe like street art, but to physically go to a space. And so what I think about a lot is that, you know, a lot of people are, are older and don't have a relationship to museums that they feel comfortable in or galleries. I learned also when I was like 18 and I moved to New York, I was like, oh, if you want free wine, you can go to openings. Um, <laughs> and so I used to do that. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is cool. I mean, I loved art too, but I just understood that there was this other kind of economy working and it's for whomever, right? Like there was all kinds of propriety, classism and racism and a whole other, bunch of other isms, right? When it comes to these spaces and I firmly am like, no, I'm going to arrive fully as myself and let my kid arrive as herself. And Cam, you know, has a lot of programming for children. And it's just, you know, it's a free museum. It's a state-run museum. There's a lot of kids and schools that come there. So there's already, I think with Cam, a different kind of energy. I imagine LACMA is the same, right? Like kind of being run by the county. These spaces have maybe more kind of capacity and a visual way for children to be present. I just am like, no, the museum art is for everyone and I'm going to go and I'm going to take my kid. And so she's been, you know, she was born like the day after lockdown. So she didn't go anywhere for like a year and a half. But, you know, that (laughs) was a while ago. And now and even the first show I curated after lockdown was in 2021 at UTA Artist Space and she was there. She was crawling on the ground and I'm like, yeah, it's fine, right? Like, I'm like, yes, there's very expensive things in this room and also you're allowed to be here and you're a baby and who cares? Like, a lot of it is around having people understand and feel comfortable in the space and you have to be there to to get comfortable and be used to it. I let her talk at full volume if she wants to. You know, I'm like, there's things that are concerning, you know, please don't break something, don't touch something. But I can teach her those things, right? And she only learns them because I teach her them, right? Like, that's how I feel about museum spaces and art spaces. I'm like, I want people to go. I want people to be present. And I want everyone to go. I want Black folks to go. I want people who didn't grow up going to enter these spaces now as adults, bring your kids. You can learn about how to be in the space, but a lot of the rules are not true, like, there's things around not touching art that are true, but I'm like, you're allowed to talk in a museum. We treat it like it's a library, but it's not. 
you can talk, you can speak. <laughs> you know, if you're inside of like a video installation, sure. Sound installation, sure. That's the experience of the art, but it's art. It feels good. Like it's supposed to have you feel something and you have to be there to feel it. You saying art is for everyone and you keep saying, you know, this space is for everyone. It makes me so happy because <laughs> I think a lot of people might find a statement like that to still feel a little radical in a sense. Yeah. A lot of those spaces don't feel like they're for everyone. They do not. I love that you as a curator of a space now and working in such a, an amazing space here in Los Angeles, you have that sort of viewpoint that it's like, this is not... The space is not precious. You are invited. It is an open door. The work is precious. Don't touch. But the space is not precious. Be here. Be a part of this work. And it is truly for everyone. Yeah. Cam is free. Art and practice is free. Galleries are always free. Museums often cost money. And they also often have all kinds of things to make it either free for certain hours. I know like LACMA has, you know, L.A. resident times where it's free. Um like you can park in the street instead of the $20 for the lot. There's all kinds of ways to navigate. It's a lot of information and it's hard to navigate. And I think the bureaucracy of spaces, of institutions is something, I went to UC Berkeley, I really learned how to navigate bureaucracy because that school is gigantic. Uh, and not everyone has that experience of having to navigate you know, government systems or systems in this kind of way. So it can feel like you can't access it, but I'm like, no, you should definitely go. And if someone is giving you an attitude, say something. Like, I'm very adamant around being like, no. That's just my energy, though. And I know it's not everyone's. I'm combative <laughs> if I need to be. But I think in terms of feeling uncomfortable in a space because someone is like watching you, someone is, you know, just being surveilled. It doesn't feel good. You don't feel welcomed. Right. And I get that. And also, if you can be like, I've seen plenty of TikToks of people recording, you know, shitty interactions in museums. And that hopefully, you know, I think does have some sort of response often in terms of the, you know, behavior that people were experiencing that was terrible against them, right? Like, it's not a perfect world. It's, you know, it's rather intense. And that's like a really lightweight way of saying that what this world looks like for most people. And also I'm like, I'm still gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to the museum. I'm gonna go look at art and I'm gonna be kind of bossy about it. I'm a Taurus, I don't know. <laughs> Where does that come from in you? The Torresian-ness. <laughs> or just that 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 brazenness. I don't know. I think Huh, I feel like no one's ever asked me that question. Now I'm like, huh. Where does it come from? I think, you know, I didn't grow up with any money. I'm a very working class person and you know, like the first person to go to like college in my family, to go to graduate school, to like leave the Bay Area, um, my sister and I, right? And I think I was just kind of like, if I I mean, I, if I can curse on this show, like, fuck it, right? Like, that's really how I felt as a teen. I felt disaffected as a youth. I'm from the Bay. There was a lot of, like, radical energy and also a lot of, like, strange non-radical energy there. But there is something around being disaffected as a teenager there that you're sort of like, I can do whatever I want. Like, I can go to 924 Gilman, which is like a punk-like space, right? I can, you know, 
cut my hair off, which I did when I was like 16. There's just all these ways of sort of like living and being that are outside of functioning well within capitalism that are, were very popular in the 90s in the Bay Area, <laughs> right? Like San Francisco and Berkeley and Oakland, like, you know, doing co-ops and like the, what you cared about was sort of like community and belonging to people. And that was the kind of center of my universe. And so I didn't really care about a lot of the rules around what I was and wasn't able to do because I was like, they're not serving me already. Like I'm not doing well in this space of school um, in the space of trying to belong. So I was like, if I want to do something, I might as well do it because who cares? I care. And that's it. And that's fine. So I moved to New York when, you know, I was done with high school. Then when I was exhausted, I came back home to the Bay and like, you know, not to my home, but, you know, worked and went to community college. And I was just was like, I can do whatever I want to do. It doesn't really, the impulse is on me and my own life. And I, if I wait for someone else to tell me I'm allowed, I will never do anything. And also to take lots of chances and risk because I could. I just didn't have a lot of um, pressure on me. No one was really watching or telling me no. No one was telling me yes either. But then I just kind of kept going. I don't know. I just wanted to. And I, yeah, I felt like very early on, I was just like, there's just immense injustice and inequity in this world. So like, no, <laughs> I'm going to do whatever I want. Fuck that. Mm. <laughs> if that's what the world is, then I want to keep doing shit. Uh, and it's been, you know, it's been quite the adventure. Here I am. <laughs> I would say, I mean, goodness, look at what you're doing. It's amazing. It's and that attitude, something. that mindset, that not even just attitude and not even just, because uh, there's no lip service, clearly, like you're doing it. You're putting yeah. action behind it and there are Absolutely. results to that. And I wish more people did. <laughs> I know it's hard. You know, people don't really like understand a lot of, I'm like, I'm always like, I'm not a punk, but the like the DIY ethos of punk life like I just did and I feel very motivated by belonging to people and people belonging to me like being in community that's podcast I'm like sure great totally right like I didn't hesitate I I just do I say yes to things that feel like oh that sounds great that sounds dope can I be of use can I be of service happily I'm you know obviously I live here it's expensive I like money um, and money also is an energy. It's not sort of, you know, some sort of stable force. And so I think of it as that. And I'm like, if it's an energy, then it's around generosity. And I just feel like that's how I do lots of stuff. That's how my life has been, you know, really beautiful in lots of ways because people are generous with me and I'm generous with people. It's not always tit for tat, but it is like, an energy I put into the world and I hope that it does something right. Like it motivates other people to move more equitably or something. It sounds like grandiose, but it's really just, I don't know any, I didn't know any better. <laughs> so like get through life, I like don't know any better. I'm like, I need people to trust me and to be generous with me and I need to trust people and be generous with them. And it's been, it's worked out pretty swimmingly, I have to say, overall. I feel very blessed in that way. Wow. So. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're a rarity. Because so many people, I mean, we all look for permission, right? 
And sometimes permission comes in the form of seeing some famous person that we admire take that bold risk or seeing a parent or a loved one take a bold risk or see an act of rebellion by a larger um, group in a community, right? Like we, we're we're more apt to join the movement when we already see people involved sure. rather than create it ourselves. For you, because you've you've brought it back to that idea of community, which is you know that's that's what we're all here for. That's certainly why we're here having this conversation. Yeah. Is all around community. How do you see you, the you that you've cultivated and created, in this marvelous way? What what is your role then in community? Do you think how how are you thinking about cool like I can offer this to my community whatever you do define community as do you think about it in that way I absolutely I think community is something right that is sort of I have like my interpersonal relationships the people who are like my ride or dies like why I live here is my best friend Esty moved here and I was like well I've never lived far away from her so I just guess I'm moving um, and that was eight years ago and then you know. It's done that. There's sort of work community. There's like other curators. And then there's my, you know, community with artists and then family. And my friends are very much family for me. And so I think of that as a executive community. There's Los Angeles. There's being a Black person in this world, being a Black person from California. There's all these ways that like I belong to people being someone's parent, um, being someone's spouse. You know, like community is just sort of jigsaw pieces. And I do often think about what it is I can do. And I think a lot of it for me is like, and I said it earlier, is to be of service. But I'm very good, to toot my own horn, at making connections, right? That I'm like, part of curating, part of teaching, part of any of it is like, I can see these threads that I'm like, oh, you want to do you want to be a DJ. I'm like, cool. I know someone who does that. Let me ask this person, like, what tools they use. And I can either show you them or connect you directly. I can connect people to services, to friends, to thought partners, to whomever. And that really does allow for people to either, you know, have their work be sold, have new collectors, have new experiences with spaces, um, have access to different types of literature and text and materials. I really, I think that's kind of, you know, my strong point in life is that I'm like, I see connections and I can make them. And I don't have a lot of preciousness around keeping things to myself. I don't think people are to be isolated in that way. Like these are, like we're all able to share resources. I'm like, that's how the world would be better, right? Like I think about it like that a lot. I'm like, what's the world that I want to live in? What's the beloved community that I want to experience? I want my kid to experience where I'm like, I want her to feel very supported and grounded, not just in me and Jahari, um, my husband, but like in the community of aunties and uncles who lover and will take care of her too, that she understands that there's a community, there's a network of people who are all kind of operating with everyone's kind of best interests at hearts, including our own. And for me, I'm just like, yo, I can make connections very, I just, I love doing it. And I think that's part, yeah, of curating in this very like kind of didactic way, right? You experience a connection because I'm showing all these artists and I'm like, here's the writing that, you know, stretches across these 
these different mediums, these, these different people. And I really enjoy doing it. <laughs> so connector, kind of. Yenta? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like... <laughs> it's a superpower for sure <laughs> you know but i love it. It, it it's like we talked about at the very beginning of the conversation and you brought it back to it too and this idea that it's like well i'm doing that as a curator too but you just do that that's you yeah. that's the human that is you that is just like i am connecting the dots i am connecting people i'm connecting resources yeah i love it it feels like what's the point like if you can't have fun and be with the people you love and like meet new people and grow then what's the point of any of this shit like this is my life and <laughs> you know like, this is my life I want it to be as glorious as possible and you need people to make that true I don't live in isolation the beginning parts of COVID because it's obviously like we're in forever time with COVID that was wild like I'm like I I'm well-resourced. Like, I have such strong friendships that I've had for 20, 30 years that I'm like, I have a baby. Cool. No problem. I have so many people. This is going to be so chill. And I was like, okay, so no one can touch the baby. And I have no help besides Shahari. And this is the most wild experience I could have ever thought to have. And I had my friend Adi and my friend Chow, like, once we figured out how to, like, you know, have some amount of help. And that was just everything to me. But I'm like, whoa, like, I, isolation. That's not my that's not my tip. That's not really how I live. If I lived in isolation, I, I really doubt I would be here. Like this is all who I am is like everyone who has supported and loved and cherished me over the years. And even going to UC Berkeley, I had a professor who was just like, you know, you have a very high GPA in community college. You should apply to Berkeley, not to SF State. And I was like, really? Okay, sure. And I was like, oh, I got in. Cool. And then it was like, you're doing very well. This is a very dope essay for your, you know, senior thesis. And you should use that for a writing sample for graduate school. And I was like, okay, sure. It's not that I didn't want those things, but I felt so nervous to, like, allow myself the experience. But other people supporting you and you're like oh yeah like I still have to do it I still have to be the one to like you know the a to z of like applying or whatever it might be but having that kind of spiritual support having that support um having community it just it's made my life very lovely for the most part and then obviously things are shitty and things can be annoying and like there's a whole host of things I could complain about and you know complaining is fun and also you know I'm like overall you know it's not too bad from like where I started and where like I technically should be like to where I am I'm like you know hey I was in the grill for my birthday I was like you know not too bad I'm like I figured out some shit like something is okay <laughs> you know it's not all terrible even if it's hard sometimes, it's not, I feel very, I feel very blessed and that's because of other people. And when it is hard, like you said, sure, things are hard, things can get hard, mm -hmm. but you have those other people, you have that community. Absolutely. And we pull each other out of our spells all of the time. Like I, on the phone, all the time. <laughs> My friend Adi and I talk like almost every day. It's very beautiful. Me and my friend Esty talk almost every day. It's very beautiful. I talk to Jahari. I talk to like friends about parenting. Like I just, I feel like I'm always like we're in like group resource time. Always. We're this morning. I got a text from two friends about 
consent and parenting and like our three-year-old children and like, well, what do we, is there like a book that we should be teaching them? And, but together we like pooled resources and like, this is what I'm experiencing. Like, does that sound right? Like, was that what you say? I'm like, yeah, I say it like this, but like, that's basically the same thing. And I think, you know, like, that's just my life where I'm like, I'm in group chats. Like that is my day to day. I'm responsible to lots of people. Um, and accountable to them and they're accountable to me and I like that it's exhausting sometimes but I also am like otherwise would I be like by myself just like bored like I love it it's a mess it's chaos it's fun (laughs) and also it's like having a library like at your fingertips for like any problem at hand you know everyone's got such different experiences and my friends are all very bizarre and eclectic and we all I was like we all sort of are the people who don't belong to any group. Like we're always on the outside. And so like what my group, my friendships look like are a bunch of people, a bunch of freaks who never could figure it out to like actually be inside of like, you know, the sort of uh, circle of a straightforward community. And for the the ones who are like, like, we can't figure this part out, but like we can figure out how to be with each other, a bunch of other freaks and it's cool. <laughs> I'm being very casual. I love it. That's how I I feel about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I love it. You've built this amazing community around yourself and you found that community that you belong to. And I love that you even used that word belonging earlier because that's that's what it's all about. It's like, I belong here. (laughs) With the other freaks, we all belong. (laughs) We belong together and we're building it one second at a time. But it's cool. It's like... It's very, I have such so much intimacy in my life. I have so much love in my life. And it's not all only resting on a romantic partnership. Like, that's never been my reality. And so while I am married, I am like, my intimacy comes from so many other people, too. And it's beautiful. It's dope. And, like, my kid just really understands, like, that there's all these people who love her and she sees love in so many different types of ways. You're like a well-loved, well-resourced child. I'm like, mm. what's better than that? <laughs> you can eat your strawberries and, like, relax on your cushions <laughs> when you come home from daycare and your hard day, you know? Like, it's cool to watch It's and it's cool to build and feel and it really does energize me. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I wish more people saw the world like this. I (laughs) wish more people understood the value they can bring to the world in the way that you do. And damn, I wish I had that childhood that (laughs) you offered your daughter. Me too. I mean, my grandparents were like amazing, but I wish I had it too. But sharing is caring. And it's like very basic way. I'm like, you got to share. Like, come on, man. It is basic to me that we are all connected. And so, you know, the good of the group is the good of the whole. And it's quite obvious that when you don't, when that's not what's happening, it's like, look, you know, I don't, it's it's really basic in most ways, like how we live life or how we could to live life. And maybe yeah. that's the, the beauty in all of it. Yeah. It's like, hey, this is achievable. Yeah. I promise. Homo sapiens <laughs> make art. Like that's, you know what I mean? I'm just like, it's a species thing. We just do it. Like, <laughs> gallery or not like you're gonna make stuff people modify their bodies like that seems like a very casual thing that our species likes to do so i'm like it's basic it's art it's wonderful or it can be you know if you're building from making it from that space 
Well, Essence, thank you. This was so much fun. <laughs> I'm so glad. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm glad you came to Art and Practice. You're welcome anytime. <laughs> Essence's approach to art and how we cultivate the conversation that surrounds it is why we need conscious curators who think about how art becomes a part of our lives. Essence curates not only the art itself, but the conversation that surrounds it, building the community in which art lives. Art can make life feel less hard, and it provides us this unquantifiable sense of community, the group resource time, as Essence calls it, in which we connect, support each other, and get to see the world through other people's eyes. This kind of accountability and shared time and space keeps us human, keeps hope alive. Sometimes that's really hard to do, and thank goodness for artists who find a way to do that for us. The well-known gallerist and art dealer, David Zwerner, he wrote an essay that was published in the New York Times that dives into this topic a little deeper. He contends that art and culture are the most important vehicles by which we come to understand one another and ultimately just makes us better people. When we do this with others, that effect is amplified even further. I encourage you to check out Zwerner's essay called Art is How We Justify Our Existence, again, in the New York Times. This episode was produced by the Untitled Future team. For more information about Untitled Future, please visit us at untitledfuture.com or follow us on LinkedIn. And for more episodes, please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Once again, I'm your host, Justin Boone. Thanks for listening. And remember, life's better when you belong. <laughs>